Well, we want to identify areas where we can leverage the strengths of our environment uh, in a way that can't be done elsewhere uh, in order to be able to develop new programs that aren't being done elsewhere where we can have true impact on the cancer problem. This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and today my guest is Dr. Rafe Pollack. Rafe is the director of the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, and he'll fill us in on some of the great things he and his team have planned in the months and in the years to come. We'll learn about the recently opened Pelotani Institute of Immuno-Oncology, a new center for cancer engineering, the five-year National Cancer Center Core Grant, and new initiatives for a cancer prevention and survivorship center and a center for translational genomics. Rafe, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Steve. It's great to be here. Before we dive in and take a look at some of these exciting new programs and initiatives, um, what's it been like for you personally? This, I think it's about three years now that you've been the director. Right. I'm, I'm starting now about a quarter of the way through my third year, um, and I've found this just to be a very, very gratifying experience. Uh, certainly, it's the peak of my uh, professional career. And it's been a very successful career, so it must be pretty high peak for you. Well, that's kind of you to <laughs> say that. Uh, it's just been a, a great opportunity to really impact a, a large critical area of research, cancer research, on behalf of uh, a phenomenal university, Ohio State, working with a tremendous team of uh, committed professional uh, uh, highly experienced uh, individuals as I am. So it's uh, in many ways a real field of dreams. All right. And now we're going to jump in and see with some of these things, seeds you've, you're planting in these fields of Great. dreams. Um, let's start off with the Pelotonia Institute of Immunology. Dr. Lee, who is the, the new director of that, uh, was on podcast episode number 40 and filled us in. That was a few months ago. So what's new and what's exciting happening over there? Well, we were very fortunate uh, to be able to recruit uh, Dr. Zihai Lee. Uh, as you probably picked up when uh, you uh, spoke with uh, Zihai and when uh, your, your listeners were able to hear that conversation, he has a tremendous titer of high positive energy. Yes, uh, definitely. And passion. Uh, passion. That's yeah. that's the right word, Steve. And he, I, you know, the word I use. I when, after I interviewed him, the word that came to my mind was exuberance. He's just so yes. excited and yes, in there. And and uh, he was clearly uh, the very best person to be recruited to become the director uh, of this uh, new institute. Uh, since the last time we spoke. Uh, uh, the, the concept of the institute was approved by the Board of Trustees of the Ohio State University, and we were very, very fortunate uh, to be able to work out a five-year philanthropic commitment from the Pelotonia Cycling Tour uh, to support the institute to the tune of more than $100 million over the next five years. This is critical because we recognize that to fully establish the Institute and its component uh, programs, we're going to need to recruit somewhere between 30 and 35 faculty uh, in a variety of different areas. And so the Pelotonia philanthropic commitment is going to make that possible. Uh, so we're very, very excited about this uh, prospect. And I take it the recruiting process has already begun. Yeah. Uh, 
this is one of the areas where Zihai is uh, a, 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 a truly exceptional. Uh, we actually had a meeting earlier today with him to review the roster of uh, candidate recruits. We have 22 people that he's trying to recruit right now, and we're optimistic that a number of them are going to want to come uh, and join us in this adventure. It's And that's what drives these kind of new initiatives, new technology, new treatments is the people. Yes, yes. And it represents a spread of uh, extremely talented uh, entry-level uh, faculty, but also about two-thirds are very senior, very established, uh, very well-funded by the NCI, recognized national and international leaders in their respective areas. So uh, we're, we're really very excited about how m- much groundwork has been laid and progress made in the past 12 months towards this uh, new initiative. All right, we're going to have Dr. Lee back on the program again. Oh, I think you should. To come to, yeah. to hear some of this, or maybe I'm sure some of the people he's recruiting now, a year or two from now, will yes. we'll be hearing a lot about them. Very much so. So the Cancer Engineering Center is kind of, I'm intrigued by this collaboration between you, the Cancer Comprehensive Cancer Center, and the Engineering Department of Ohio State. And how will that work, and sort of what are the projects the two of you will work on sure. together? Well, it's, it uh, is a center, and it, uh, it's a collaboration, actually, with the College of Engineering, uh, which is one of the largest, broadest, and deepest collection of academic engineers uh, in the United States. Doctors uh, uh, Ringel and Brzezinska have really laid out a strategic vision uh, for the Cancer Engineering Center, That includes a number of focus areas uh, that speak to and leverage the broad collaborative environment that we are so fortunate to enjoy here at Ohio State. So, for example, uh, the College of Engineering, the Cancer Center, and I, I believe six or seven other colleges at Ohio State each contributed a million dollars so that we could buy an absolute state of the art cryo electron microscopy system. Cryo, say that again? Cry- cryo electron microscopy. So cryo is cold? It's cold. And yep. Mic- mic- and, and it's super magnifying. Super magnifying. Uh, it can image down to two angstroms, which is very, very, very small. Uh, measure of, of, of size. And so this has some real implications. With this type of a system, you can actually image the cell, like a cancer cell, in its interaction with a drug. And the leadership for this comes from a number of different uh, areas around Ohio State, including the College of Arts and Sciences, the College of Medicine, uh, the College of Engineering. So uh, it's uh, very, very gratifying to see specialists from multiple different areas in the university coming together uh, to to advance an understanding using this really uh, breathtaking technology. What would be another example of how the engineering college can create with working with you can create something that will eventually be used on patient care. Sure. Well, um, one of the other things that I do uh, is um, I'm I'm a surgical oncologist, and I focus on a rare type of cancer called sarcoma. And frequently, these tumors uh, uh, nest uh, or start out in the very very deepest recesses of the abdomen called the retroperitoneum. 
That's the part of the abdomen where the kidneys and the inferior vena cava and the pancreas are located. So lots of expensive real estate, very, very deep in the body. Hard to get to. Hard to get to, exactly. And so if you need to get a biopsy, which typically we need to prove not only that it is a tumor, but the type of tumor, that leaves you with basically two options, one of which is to perform an actual operation uh, with just like any other operation under general anesthesia, fraught with the potential for complications uh, and uh, expense associated, typically about $25,000, plus issues of scheduling, getting someone on the OR schedule. And no one likes to get an operation. No. (laughs) So in lieu of that, uh, another possibility is what we call an image-directed biopsy. And the way that that works is typically with a a CAT scan, a patient already has had an initial CAT scan, which shows that there's a mass, returns to the radiology suite, has another CAT scan. Using that as a roadmap, the skin overlying the mass is numbed up, and then a needle is passed directly through the skin with radiologic control, which usually works, to be able to then harvest a core of tissue from the mass, which can then be put on a slide and looked at under the microscope and make the diagnosis. Now, again, this is a scheduled procedure because our CAT scan machines uh, run uh, almost continuously 24 hours a day. Uh, And there's expense, typically about $12,000. So the whole premise is, is there a way of taking a peripheral blood sample and through some type of filtration process, can we isolate components within that peripheral blood that might be diagnostic for a tumor deep in the body? And so there's a whole area of engineering called microfluidics in which small filtration chambers are basically can be synthesized and you can then run a sample uh, of blood uh, through that filtration process. Uh, and, and if it's successful uh, and designed appropriately, you can isolate a diagnostic protein or some other biomarker and come to the same ultimate understanding as what's derived with either an open operation biopsy or an image-directed biopsy. But instead of that, it can be done basically in real time uh, and for a cost that uh, is measured in one to $200. And again, it's just like taking a blood sample in your arm like you may do it every yeah. year during your physical. Correct. Correct. So, and wow. So that's a huge uh, improvement for patients in terms of what they have to undergo yeah. Yeah. and cost and and reducing Cost, convenience, pain, yeah. time, uh, and I'm guessing diagnostic you, delay. Yeah, and you can do it on a more regular basis to track. You can do it the, on a more regular course, basis, yeah. and and particularly for this type of cancer, although it's a, it, this technology will and is being applied to many different types of tumors, uh, but but specifically for this, one of the problems that we have with is sarcomas that, with sarcomas is that after a operation is performed, and these can be very radical operations that can take 8 to 12 hours to perform. And Ohio State, parenthetically, is one of the national leaders in that type of surgery. 
But the problem is that after that, when a patient is healing and you're getting scanned to try to detect recurrence, it's very difficult to discriminate or differentiate recurrence from post-surgical scarring. Oh, yeah. But if you have something that the tumor releases into the bloodstream that you've already documented in a given patient that it was elevated and then you removed the tumor and that entity disappeared or wasn't detectable or detectable at a much lower level, and then it starts to climb back up as you get these serial blood tests, that provides you with a higher index of suspicion that what you're looking at on the scan may actually be recurrent tumor and not just scar tissue. Right now, when we have that situation, it's a diagnostic dilemma, and we'll frequently tell patients, we're just going to watch this for several months, and we'll get another scan, and if it's increased, then we know that it's probably tumor, and if it's uh, stayed the same or decreased, then you're lucky it's a scar. Instead of that, we can potentially identify recurrence at a very early point when the total volume of recurrence is small and therefore much more amenable to treatment. So, so there's the, some real advantages to these approaches. The creation of this system to do this is going to be something that, that the Cancer Center and the Engineering College are going to do together. Yes. That could have national and beyond use. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're very, very excited about, about th- those possibilities. Okay. You've been working for the past several months or a year or more on the five-year NCI grant, yes. which I don't fully understand. So what exactly is it and, and what does that, what's the purpose of it? Sure. Uh, we're one of 51 cancer centers in the United States that enjoy the NCI designation as a comprehensive cancer center. And what that means is that we have satisfied a number of benchmarks in terms of the volume and quality of clinical care, as well as the breadth and depth and impact of our cancer research activities to be able to be deemed uh, and awarded the terminology of being a comprehensive cancer center. So this is the 51 best cancer centers in the United States. Yes, absolutely. And in order to uh, initially secure and then maintain that designation, every five years, there is a large uh, application that needs to be sent uh, to the Cancer Institute, where it's initially evaluated. And then if you um, pass that initial evaluation, uh, a site visit team, uh, typically 20 or 30 experts, is assembled, and they come to Ohio State for a day in which the entire grant is presented to these individuals. They then put together their impressions of the written proposal as well as the site visit to give us what's called a priority score, uh, which is a numerical evaluation, sort of a summative metric uh, that uh, if it is at a sufficiently uh, high uh, level, we will be funded uh, by the NCI, typically on the order of somewhere between 5 to $7 million a year, uh, and receive the designation of uh, being comprehensive. So uh, about 15 of us have been working uh, almost nonstop for the past 12 months, almost since the last time we spoke, to prepare this grant. Uh, it was submitted 
uh, on uh, January 27th, 2020, uh, to the National Cancer Institute, and it was over 2,100 pages long. And the last time around, five years ago, the, the Cancer Center did pretty well. Uh, it actually got a perfect score. And uh, although we can't tell this to the site visit team, we think that the current situation in the Cancer Center and our proposal shows that there's actually been a lot of additional progress. So I don't know how you improve on perfection. <laughs> well, you create but, a Pelotonia Immuno-Oncology Center. You hire new yeah. researchers. Yeah. You develop new drugs. So Right. But it, it, you can't stand still. No. No. That's, that's exactly right. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Rafe to talk about some new initiatives at the Cancer Center. Great. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At the James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. We're back, and my guest is Rafe Pollock, the director of the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center. And Rafe, let's move on to the next big initiative you have, the Center, uh, the Cancer Prevention and Survivorship Center. You know, one of the things that a lot of people don't appreciate is particularly in children who have uh, been successfully treated uh, for tumor problems, it's not a free lunch. And in almost every parameter that one might consider, education, uh, job, marital stability, physical performance, uh, when children who have survived cancer treatments, including use of chemotherapy, are compared to age-maxed adult cohorts who have not had that experience as a child. In almost all of these parameters, we find that there are deficits. Uh, so it's, it's something that is not well understood. We don't totally know why this is the case, to what extent uh, genomics contribute to this, but we are very aware that cancer survivors require an additional level of ongoing care to help with many of these psychosocial problems that emerge in the aftermath of their successful treatment. So the partnership with Nationwide Children's becomes very, very important because Nationwide has uh, uh, been uh, developing and has a very matured uh, cancer survivorship program. And yet when these uh, cancer survivors become adults, how do you pass the baton? And so this new center will be a way of trying to accommodate these special needs patients. Now, that's different than cancer prevention, where we have some inherent strengths here at Ohio State, starting with a very, very good basic research group focusing on carcinogenesis, the various factors that trigger the growth of cancer to begin with. We're talking about environmental factors, right? Environmental Smoking, factors. chemicals. Well, uh, ultimately, we're a product 
uh, of how such factors interact with our own genomic structures. The issue here is uh, can we harness some of the strengths that we have at Ohio State, such as our laboratory investigations in carcinogenesis, looking at the interactions between environmental factors and and the patient's own genetic structures, um, and and coming to some understanding about how that might contribute to the formation of tumors on the one hand, and then as you mentioned a moment ago, we are international leaders in the whole area of smoking cessation and the impacts of uh, tobacco on human health, cancer as well as other as other health problems, and so. Bringing all three of these areas, cancer survivorship, cancer prevention on a basic research level, and cancer prevention on an applied smoking cessation level, together under one administrative structure, uh, makes uh, very, very good sense to us. And prevention, as other people have talked about, I mean, that's a huge percentage of the number of cancer cases that are out there. Well, we'd like to prevent them from being becoming cancer cases in the first place. Yeah, that's what I mean. If 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 we put all these prevention practices in place, we can eliminate 20, 30, 40% of the cancer cases. That that that's essentially correct. Uh because so many of the uh problems with cancer are either uh, due to environmental exposures um or lifestyle considerations. I mean, one could argue that inhaling cigarette smoke is a form of interaction with your environment. Uh, it's an environment that's at the end of your hand in the form of a lit cigarette, but it's something outside that is bought inside. Right. But we also know that there are other areas. Uh, obesity, for example, is associated with a number of different uh, very common types of cancers. Uh, Dietary considerations uh, are, are likewise relevant. Uh, occupational hazards are another example of an environmental exposure. Uh, exposure to certain viruses uh, uh, may also trigger the developments of some types of cancers. Like the the so, human papillomavirus. Human papillomavirus, great yeah. example. Uh, uh, the uh, HIV, uh, yet another example, triggering Kaposi sarcomas and other types of skin cancers, for example. So there's a very fertile area for research uh, and ultimately developing preventive therapeutics, having identified patients that are potentially at a higher risk. Now, does this tie in in some way with translational genomics? Well, it does because uh, we, we do know that at a very fundamental level, whether the inciting event is a, a, a lifestyle consideration or something in the environment, that it ultimately impacts on the individual's genome, their genetic structure. So having a better understanding about how um, aberrations in that aspect of, of your personhood uh, can contribute to the development of cancer becomes very, very important, not only because it'll lead to a better understanding of the factors that cause the inception of cancer, but in and of itself, this then can become the focus of a targeted therapeutic, hopefully that has more efficacy with less toxicity than other forms of treatment currently available. 
So this Center for Translational Genomics will be about creating new drugs? That would be part of it. Uh, drug discovery, uh, but, as, but also identifying druggable aspects of an individual's genetic structure. Oh, so targets to go after. Absolutely. And that, as well as drugs. And it seems like that also ties in with the immunotherapy center. Absolutely. So everything ties together. Uh, well, not everything, but, but, uh, but there's a lot of connectivity, so, uh, which, again, points to the unique characteristics of an institution like Ohio State that has so much breadth and depth uh, in terms of faculty expertise. You can build these types of collaborative bridges to move more rapidly than you can in most other environments. Well, again, you, you use that word collaboration, and I hear that yeah. from at least half the people I talk to, yeah. that this seems to be the culture here is collaboration, yeah. and not just within the cancer hospital and center, but across the whole university. Yeah, but the collaboration is not only within the university itself, across colleges. Ohio State enjoys one of the strongest relationship with its central Ohio community uh, that has been so important, uh, not only in terms of Pelotonia, but other types and sources of uh, philanthropic uh, uh, donation and sustenance. People here are very proud of their cancer center, and they look on the Ohio State Cancer Center as their center. There's an event, a fundraising event, a walkathon, a race, the Buckeye Cruise, almost every week. Yeah, yeah. It, and it seems like it takes all the, the, the collaboration of all these elements to create these new initiatives. Like, what's sort of the, the themes that run through creating a new center like this, a new initiative? Well, we want to identify areas where we can leverage the strengths of our environment uh, in a way that can't be done elsewhere uh, in order to be able to develop new programs that aren't being done elsewhere where we can have true impact on the cancer problem. When we talk about designing new research initiatives, uh, it's actually a, th a three-legged stool that we're talking about. And the three legs on that stool are personnel, that means faculty investigators and their support people, Funds, because you can't start new programs without a measure of discretionary funding that can be used for pilot studies and exploratory activities as well as recruiting faculty. And then the third area is space, research space, because you can't do this type of work in a vacuum. And so we're very, very fortunate at Ohio State that the university as a whole understands these needs, specifically in the context of, of cancer research as well as other areas uh, of research support. Uh, and uh, we have a very satisfactory mix of such resources to be able to initiate these types of new programs. Well, I'm going to add a, a fourth leg to our stool, and that's leadership. And it seems like these four initiatives you just talked about are going to be the enduring legacy of your tenure as the director of the Comprehensive Cancer Center. Well, I think you're being very generous to say that, uh, but um, I would like to think that this would be what people will look at and see this team of folks working together, what was created through this type of teamwork. Well, you're right, and it takes a team, and you have a, a large and talented team. Yeah, I'm very, very fortunate to be part of that. 
Well, thanks for sharing all these exciting new initiatives and programs and centers. And I look forward to talking to you and some of your other leaders of your teams to hear more about them. Well, Steve, thanks for the opportunity to, to share our enthusiasm about these new directions with uh, your, your Podship listening audience. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.